Thank you. Well, a great ministry. So I probably should begin by apologizing to you, Paul, for uh, my smart aleck response. I knew it was a safe question to ask you. So uh, I want to just personally invite you to come next Saturday to worship the Lord in our morning of worship-based prayer. We only do it twice a year. And I know time is precious, but um, I think one of the most beneficial things we can do is to stop and to just enjoy a ministry of the Spirit through brothers and sisters in Christ and let God take us where He would like to take us uh, for a few hours. And if that freaks you out, uh, I'd still encourage you to come. It's one of those fun barriers to break. Um, if you need nursery care and you're going to come, we need to know that so that we can have nursery workers there. And so let Donna Kosovich know. If you've got elementary school or uh, youth, just bring them with you. And if you think the four or five hours, four hours really, a little less than four hours, is too much, come for part of it and leave. Uh, I think it's a huge way to disciple your children into the, the importance of being still, listening to the Spirit and His Word and worshiping. And, um, and I don't know too many places that we get a chance to do that. In American culture, we freak out over things that go over an hour, an hour and a half. Except a movie, video games, all the things that are probably not as redemptive as the things that take time. And uh, so just a personal invitation to jump into that. Next Sunday evening, we'll have our family potluck as well as uh, our pulse check. We'll be over in the fellowship hall for both of them because Jam Pack kicks off. And uh, we'll probably even start a little bit earlier for you folks that are dropping kids off for Jam Pack. We'll probably start eating maybe at quarter to five or something. And maybe we'll begin the music at about quarter to six and actually begin our formal meeting at six. So just encouragement to be there early and uh, we'll fit in a little bit more with the jam-packed schedule. Well, for the next four weeks uh, during this time, uh, we're going to look at what it looks like for God's grace to flow through us and how it affects our hearts uh, concerning how we view work, how we view money, and how we use money and material things, most specifically in the area of giving. It is one of those significant areas of transformation that takes place when a person becomes a follower of God. They view work entirely differently, and they view making money entirely differently. And, uh, and it's just, again, one of those gracious works. I know I went through it when I became a believer in college. Uh, I think Camilla and I had been married a year or so, and she said, we should be giving. And my thought was, we're barely paying the bills now. And she was discipled into that by her parents. And uh, uh, because I love her and because I respect her, we began doing that. And it's just been an exciting journey ever since. And uh, we visit this subject uh, probably every two years. And I realized going through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that we're going to go through, I needed it freshly again because it's easy to put it on autopilot and to miss the beauty of what God is doing. One of the verses that always catches me off guard about how God changes a person's life in this area when they come to Christ is found in Ephesians 4 where it says, you know, when you become a follower of Jesus, He, he calls us to put off our old ways of thinking and, and to put on new ways of thinking and behaving. And He says this, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Now, if I had written this verse, I would have said, so you can provide for yourself and your family. The Spirit of God doesn't do that. He says so that he will have something to share with one who has need. You see, God moves us all the way from the point of start working and laboring with our own hands, not just to meet our own needs, that's a given, but so that those things can flow through us and we will have something to give to people who are in need. That's just part of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, often when, we, when a church begins talking about money, there are those, they're very few, but they tend to be very verbal, who say, all you want is my money. And I'll just say to you flat out, we don't want your money. We want God to have all of your heart. Some of the greatest consequences of not letting God change our heart in this area is is we don't overflow in any area of our Christian life because greediness with money affects greediness with everything. And we're going to see that in the passage this morning. And so there's great damage done to the entire life when we don't deal with money the way God intends us to deal with it. So for these next four weeks, we're going to trust the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to just excite our hearts again about this amazing grace and opportunity that he's given us. We're going to very practically talk about how we manage money here at Calvary, and we're going to talk about and highlight some of the ways that God uses the money here that is given to change life. So there's going to be a practical side to it as well. Now, if you're in a life group, you're going, all of our life groups are going to be going and looking at this same theme for the next four weeks. And, uh, and so this coming week, if you're in a life group, you're going to be in the first part of Matthew chapter 6. Next week, you'll be in the last part of Matthew chapter 6. Now, if you're not in a life group, this is a great time to jump in, quite frankly. So just find a life group and jump into that. And let's see what God wants to do in this whole area of giving. Now, when you think about um, what God says about giving and our money, I mean, you could turn to just about any place in the Scriptures. I thought it would be good for us to look at Paul's instructions to the local church at Corinth in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. It just is a a full explanation. In fact, it's the longest description. And the beauty of it is, is he's instructing a local church like us on on what the the deal is with giving. This morning, we're going to look at the first seven verses. And we've entitled this, The Grace of Giving, which I think you'll understand why that title in just a few moments. Now, before I read verses 1 through 7 and we then take a look at this, Uh, let me just give you a little bit of background uh, of where we're at in this. And let me me use a map to do that. So if you look at this one over here. Uh, So here's Jerusalem. This is where the church began on the day of Pentecost. It was primarily Jewish, Jewish people from all over the world who had come for the feast. But uh, the amazing work of God of redemption in Christ is proclaimed, and people by the boatloads, by the households, by the thousands began to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, over time, the gospel began to spread, and the first church that we read about that is really beyond more than just Jewish people, multi-ethnic church, is up here in Antioch. Now, as the gospel began to go to non-Jewish people, it created um, some hard feelings and even a sense of this isn't right from the Jewish believers. And, uh, And so they had a whole council to figure this out. And the conclusion was, yeah, God saves non-Jewish people just like he saves Jewish people. Everybody's dead in their trespasses and sins, and the grace of God in Christ comes to all people. That was the message of Christ. That's the message of the gospel. And so that's the way it is. One of the things that the Apostle Paul, who was the primary uh, leading missionary in those early days to the non-Jewish people, never bypassing the Jews, but he was primarily an apostle to the non-Jewish people. One of the things that he was asked by the leaders of the Jewish church is to remember the saints in Jerusalem, particularly because they were having a hard time. There was a famine that came, and there was horrible persecution. And so many of them, when they would come to Christ, they would lose their jobs, they'd, get, they'd lose their families, they'd lose all of the things that are really necessary for just life. And so the first experience that Paul had was up here in the church at Antioch. That's really the first church he was really a leader and teacher in. 
And there was a, a prophet there who said, this famine's coming to Jerusalem. We need to take an offering for him. They gathered an offering from that church, and Paul was one of the people who delivered it to the church in Jerusalem. And of course, part of this was because this is a great way to say we're in this together. It's a great way to say we love you. Paul would say to the church at Rome some years later, we came to these spiritual blessings through the Jews. We owe it to them to help them financially. And so Paul, as he began to travel through Galatia here and on over to Macedonia and down into Corinth and Greece down here, he would always take an offering for the saints in Jerusalem and, and then deliver it. Now what had happened was he came through Macedonia, he came down to Corinth down here, Corinth there, that's Corinth, huh? And, uh, and when he was there on his first visit, go back to the end of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16, keep your fingers in, in 2 Corinthians 8, we'll be back there in a moment. But 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints. That was kind of what this offering for the saints in Jerusalem was often referred to as. As I directed the church in, of Galatia, so do you also. You do the same thing. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. And so Paul had instructed them that as God prospers them, they're to take some and set that aside each week so that, you know, when Paul comes back, there's not this panic. Oh no, I promised that I would do this, but you know, I found other things to spend it on. Other things have popped up. Well, evidently, he caught wind that they had not been faithful to that, that for whatever reasons, and there's a multitude of reasons that we are all familiar with, I think, uh, either the willingness to give had dissipated, other things had popped up, but he caught wind that they weren't being faithful to what they had committed to. And so he sends Titus down there, and, and he carries this letter, and chapters 8 and 9 are his instructions to get them back on track, because he does not want them to miss out on this gracious work of God in their lives of giving. So he's going to, as we go through these chapters, he's going to, he's going to give examples of people that have, uh, have caught the, uh, the truth of what it means to give and are actually giving. He's going to use Macedonia as an example. The church is up here, which is actually where he's at at the time, Philippi specifically. Uh, he's going to give the example of Christ. He's going to give them very significant applications that come out of agriculture, of the harvest, but he just really doesn't want them to miss out on what God has for them. And so if you want the two things that kind of weave these chapters together is he wants them to know the grace of God and he wants them to live in it concerning their giving for the work of God in whatever ways that might work out. So with that in mind, let me read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, and you can follow along. This is the word of the living God. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, 
but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Let's pray together. Lord, all of us need uh, a further, furthering opening of our eyes concerning your grace because it's so much more than we can comprehend. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you would use these, your words, and other words as we go through your word here to just open our eyes to this amazing grace. And then, Lord, even as Paul instructed the Corinthians and sent Titus, Lord, if there's something incomplete concerning our living in this grace, and specifically in how we see and use money, Spirit of God, we pray that you would just do a little bit more work of completing in us this work of grace. Boy, are we grateful that you love us. Are we grateful for your grace towards us? And are we grateful that you who began the good work want to complete it? And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So, um, the two things that we're going to look at here, verses 1 through 5, is he wants them to personally know the grace of God. And then 6 and 7 He's begging the Corinthians to apply it to their lives, even as the Macedonian believers had applied it to their lives. And so personally know the grace of God. That comes right out of uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. Now, brethren, brothers and sisters, fellow believers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. We need to know about this grace of God. We need to know it personally. We need to know it as a church body. Now, as we go through these two chapters, we're going to find this word grace is used ten times. And I want to walk through those because it's important that we kind of get these uh, raindrops of grace falling upon us so that we would understand that this really is the grace of giving. This is not some legalistic thing. This isn't something that we do to measure up. This really is an issue of grace. And so let's just look at the verses. I already read a few of them, but let's repeat it. Verse 1, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. Verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And you say, where's the word grace in that verse? The word favor is the word grace. Charis is the, is the word for grace from which we get charity. And that, that is our word. So begging us with much urging for the grace of participation in the support of the saints. Oh God, would you give us the favor? Would you give us the grace to be a part of what you're doing? Verse 6. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work. Now, we'll come back to this, but notice this gracious work. Verse 7, very end of the verse, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Jump down to verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. And what are you thinking? Where's the word grace in that verse? Are you thinking that? Where's the word grace in that word? It's the word thanks. The word thanks is the word charis. And, and so when you sit down for a meal, very often you say what? Grace. And what do you say when you say grace? You say, thank you, Father. And so this is a response to something God has done, and it's a grace that flows back to Him and saying, thank you. Thank you for your charity towards us. Look at verse 19. 
And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Verse 14. While they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Now I skipped over chapter 8 verse 9. Let's go back and catch that and then we'll come back to the last verse in this chapter. But verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then verse 15 of chapter 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Again, thanks there is the word grace. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, which is who? The Lord Jesus Christ and everything that comes with it. You see, the Apostle Paul cannot help but just recognize the role of grace. It's ultimately not about money. Money is a fruit of the whole shebang. And you'll notice grace is used three different ways there. It is the grace of God that comes to us. It is this work of grace whereby we give our money to be a part of what God is doing. And there's this result of grace where we say, thanks be to God. Thank you, God. And you're going to see this as, you, as we just looked pop up over and over. Man, understand the grace of God to you. Be faithful to the work of grace and how you use money. And let your heart overflow with, wow, God, thanks. Thanks for a chance of being a recipient and to be a participant in your grace. One of the commentators that I read says, thus St. Paul does not regard church giving as a ladder to heavenly things. God forbid. Neither does he take a horizontal view and think of giving merely as wielding force in the life of the church. Rather, he looks down into the inner life of the church and regards all its activities, including its financial arrangements from the point of view of the grace of God. And so I hope you're ready to just have your mind blown freshly about the grace of God and to see what God might want each of us to do concerning this work of grace in our giving and to even tune up the new song in our hearts of saying, wow, God, thanks be to you for your grace. Now, I want to give you a warning. It seems like everything in our world these days has warnings. And so here's a warning. Uh, This can be hazardous to your worldly living. This will be hazardous to your own personal fleshy desires. It's crazy stuff. Grace is crazy. Grace just causes things to happen and calls us to things that are very outlandish because the kingdom of God is very different than the kingdom of this world. And so, with that warning, let's look at the example of the Macedonian church. The Macedonian church. The first thing that we see about them in the first few verses there is that their circumstances did not limit God's grace. Look at verse 2 that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. And so Paul describes the, the believers at Philippi, the church in Macedonia, he says, in great ordeal of affliction and in deep poverty. Now let's just think about this for a moment. If he had just used the word affliction, affliction, the word by itself, means pushing someone to their limits. He could have just said, in affliction. And it would have meant, these are followers of Jesus that are pushed to the limits. 
He didn't just say in affliction. He says in an ordeal. Some of your ESV might say testing. That, that's a multiplier. They aren't just pushed to their limits. They're pushed to their limits in deciding who are they going to trust in? What are they going to build their lives upon? And if that's not enough, he puts another word in front of it. Great ordeal of affliction. This is affliction on steroids. They were in a very hard place circumstantially. And part of that was probably what he says next in deep poverty. And again, he could have just said in poverty. In poverty would have meant having nothing. In deep poverty meant really, really poor. One of the translators translates it, the very depths of destitution. Now, there are references in some of the secular writings of this day of how this was just generally a poor area of the world. And uh, I don't know what all that might be, but it's easy for us in, in our world that we live in here to forget how often the rains wouldn't come or the seed wouldn't grow and there would be a huge famine. And they didn't go to grocery stores. I mean, when we have a drought, the price may go up a few cents. When they have a drought, there's no food. Fakia, one of our missionary partners who's now working in Holland after many years in Thailand and doing just as much, I think, in translating the scriptures there in Thailand and some surrounding countries, in her newsletter this week, she talked about the village that she and a fellow worker were in for many years. And let me just read this part out of her newsletter. She says, the compassion children's work is flourishing still. Between 100 and 350 children gather each Saturday in Bon Bing. But there's also sad news. It rained so little in this area that about half of the village people did not get any rice from their fields. The rest of the population is expecting a little rice. We forget about that. It's a very real thing in our day, and it was especially in their day. And then you have these diseases come through that would just obliterate populations. Paul says the church at Philippi was in a tough place, and then you may add the layer of persecution on that now that they had become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, what does Paul say grace does? Notice what he says. In great ordeal of affliction, what? Say it with me. An abundance of joy. Let's say it again. Abundance of joy. What? In a great deal of affliction, there's not just joy. There's a joy that is overflowing. And in deep poverty, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Do you, do you pick up how Paul's tripping over words to describe this? They overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Their liberality just kept overflowing and overflowing and overflowing in deep poverty. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? And not only that, but Paul goes on to say, not only did their circumstances not limit God's grace, but he says their hearts chose to live in God's grace. He's saying, I didn't force this on them. I didn't even have to exhort them. I didn't even have to really encourage them. Look at what he says there in verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability. Now, figure that one out, folks. According to their ability. Oh, I mean beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability? I remember Larry Burkett, who was uh, one of the 
main teachers about how to deal with money. He was the Dave Ramsey of the 80s, really. And I can remember reading his book, and I can remember teaching it in the church we were a part of in those days. And he said, you know, when people start doing their money the way the Lord intended to, they often bring in huge debt. And they, they work out this plan to get rid of their debt, but then somehow, in ways that are unexplainable, they get out of debt way before than they should have if you add up the dollars and cents. And he just said, how does that make sense? Because grace does things. In faithfulness, when we're faithful, there's a multiplier that you cannot wrap your hands around. You can't make your balance sheet add up to. And he says, that was true of the Philippian believers. They gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. And I trust you have experienced that. I know Camilla and I have during some very lean years in our life where you would look at what we ended up with and you could not go back and put together how it came together. And he says the next phrase, he gave according to their own choice. He gave according to their own choice. Again, he said, I didn't have to twist their arms on this. In fact, I think if you can pick up the sense as he's writing to the Corinthians, he's saying, they're a poor church, you're a wealthy church. I didn't have to write two chapters in the Bible to them. In fact, what's the next phrase said? They begged us to be a part. Wow, what a church. Begging to be a part of things. And, and he's really just kind of saying to the Corinthians, you're wealthy and i got to write two chapters in the Bible to get you on board. Man, they were such recipients of God's grace that they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave of their own choice. In fact, he says, I didn't even want to talk to them about this. This is the sense I get. Because they're so poor. And they said, come on, Paul, we want to give. We want to be a part of what God is doing. And that little phrase, the favor of participation and support, the word participation is koinonia. Man, we want to be a, in fellowship with you, Paul, with you, Corinthians, with you, saints in Jerusalem, with God Himself. And so Paul sums this up at the beginning of verse 5, and he says, uh, this was not as we expected. <laughs> Don't you love that statement? There's something cattywampus about this. There's something upside down about this. And notice the we. Titus was there. And I, I think, I think this is, so this is what I picture, Paul and Titus. What is going on here? These crazy Philippian believers. They're in this great ordeal of affliction and in deep poverty. And yet they're saying, come on, Paul, can't we give? We want to be a part. And Paul and Titus would sit around at night maybe and say, wow, this is not what we expected. I want to submit to you that's what grace always does. Grace working in someone's life just causes you to say, wow, that's not what we expected. I hope you have these conversations of, of, of God's work in someone's life, of them forgiving or they're giving financially, or their kindness in a situation, or they're moving towards somebody. And I, I know Kimon and I often will say to each other, wow, that's just crazy. That, that's not what we would have expected. So how do you explain this? How do you explain this? Well, Paul goes on and says, but, but, see the Corinthians they made a trajectory-changing decision in their lives. The Macedonians did. And what was it? What's it say? But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. 
They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. Here's what happened. The Philippians, uh, let's just use them as a church in Macedonia. They were probably the primary giving church. The Apostle Paul gets this call while he's over on the other side. He comes to Philippi. He, along with his compatriots, share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ about who Jesus is, about the work of Jesus in his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and they extend a call for the people in Philippi to receive this gift of God and his grace and to become followers of Jesus, and some of them did. And some of them did. They first gave themselves to the Lord. They just responded and gave themselves to the Lord. And once you give yourselves to the Lord, man, you have opened up the channels of grace, not just for forgiveness of sins, not just for heaven, but for all kinds of generous living. And so they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us. I mean, it would be natural if the Apostle Paul and Titus and them brought the gospel to them, they would say, we want to be a part of your lives. We want to be a part of what God is doing through you. And so we read in the Scriptures that when Paul left and went down to Thessalonica, the Philippians sent a financial gift. While he was in Corinth, for the time that he was in Corinth, a wealthy church, it's the Philippians who financially supported him. Years later, he's in prison in Rome. Who sends a person to care for him with a financial gift? The Philippians church. We have the book of Philippi, all about that. Paul says, you know what explains this? They first gave themselves to the Lord, and when you give yourself to the Lord, and you live in His grace, He changes your life. And there's a generosity that comes out of you that is inexplainable for any other reason whatsoever. They first gave themselves to the Lord. It's like the grapevine there. When they came with the gospel, they planted themselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, all the riches and all the resources of Christ, all of His grace began to flow into their lives And when it flows into a person's life, they take on the character of Christ and it flows through their lives into the lives of other people and it bears the fruit, one of the fruits, of financially giving even though your circumstances make no sense that you should give at all. (laughs) Not as we expected, but as God would provide. And so... Paul goes on and he turns the corner there in verse 6. And he's going to turn this corner and we'll pick up next week in 8 and following. But he turns the corner and he says, So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, Titus was the one who began the offering there probably in 1 Corinthians 16. Titus had just returned from a trip. We read about that in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians As he had made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Paul says, Corinthian believers, I don't want you to cheat yourself out of the grace of God. I don't want you from experiencing the work of Christ because he who began the good work wants to bring it to completion. And so I have sent Titus down there to work in you and to help you understand and to know the grace of God so that you'd become like the Macedonian church and that you would complete this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and you'll know the Corinthian church prided itself on its abundance of faith, its abundance of utterances, its abundance of knowledge, It's abundance of love. We have 1 Corinthians 13. See also that you abound in this gracious work also. And so he says, Corinthians, see that you also abound in this gracious work also. And that's a good word to each of us today.
the Spirit of God would be saying to each of us, see that we abound in this gracious work also. It's not good enough to abound in just the other works. Make sure we're abounding in this work of grace, of giving as well. So you might say, well, how much? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. Now in the Old Testament, they had the 10%. Abraham gave a 10% before the law. Actually, if you included all of the giving in the Old Testament required, it was a little over 20%. But Jesus, yes, he did refer and affirm the tithe in a discussion with the religious leaders. But once you move into the coming of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit, you'll never find an amount. Because the amount is not about some legal requirement. So the question for each of us is, how much grace have we received? If someone looked at our bank accounts, if the Apostle Paul looked at my bank account, would he say, wow, this isn't what I expected? This isn't what I expected. Here's someone who has first given themselves to the Lord and then has given them to the work of the Lord through other people. And so how do we navigate down this? You ask the Spirit of God to take passages like this and let Him convince you of what you should give. If you're married, you do this with your wife or husband. Camilla and I developed a habit, and we're going to redo it because we got lazy on this one, where we would do this separately, and we would write down amounts, and then we would compare them. Because typically, what he wants us to give is more than makes sense. And it's always nice when you both have heard from the Lord, and you get the same thing. It's just one of those great affirmation things of the two of us becoming one flesh. And so what's the amount? How much grace have you received? How much would you want to abound in this gracious work of giving? So let's pray together. Spirit of God, thank you for the example of the Macedonians. Ooh. Thank you. And Lord, in whatever our circumstances are, may we be abounding in joy. And may we be abounding in the liberality of our wealth in our giving. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you will make clear to each of us what that looks like. Lord, help us to see it through the eyes of grace. Help us to live in a place of faith here. And we thank you. We thank you for your promise to do that. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you.